0: Welcome to not the Celtics Reddit podcast. That's right. This is not the smooth, dulcet tones of a one Ben Vallis that you hear. It's the Eugene Levy-esque monotone of me, Wayne Spooney. So if you're tuning in, you might have heard yesterday Ben said that we're going to have a new podcast on our feed, and that is this one, the one you are currently listening to. It's going to be... At first, at least just a solo show of me. I'm gonna pick a couple of topics that I've got some opinions on that maybe aren't robust enough to write something about, but I wanna dive in a little deeper than maybe just chatting about it on Reddit or Twitter or you know doing a quick hit on the podcast. So you are entering the mind of Wayne Spoony. My wife can attest it's an extremely scary place. Uh, but really I'm going to, this is going to be like a conversation except extremely one-sided where you only get to listen and I get to do all the talking. So really my favorite type of conversation, if I'm being totally honest with you, I'm going to record these at 4.46 every Friday because I end work at 4.45. So these will be recorded every time at 4.46 Boss, if you are listening to this podcast for some reason. So, all right, I think we'll just jump into it here and you'll get a feel of the types of things I'm going to talk about on here. But first thing I want to talk about is I saw some people who were maybe disappointed. Marcus Smart didn't get traded. Uh, and, you know, there's that group of Celtics fans who blame Smart for all of our ills. I'm not going to say he's not a flawed player. Look, man, Marcus Smart's a flawed player. Yeah, it's like he has injured backboards, right? Like, he has hurt fans with jump shots. That said, he's playing the best basketball of his life. And even when he wasn't, so long as the Celtics are good, there's almost no chance Marcus Smart's going to get traded. I mean, as long as we're trying to continue to be good, and he's still a good player, the dude's not going to go anywhere. And here's why. Okay, so the type of team that's going to trade for Marcus Smart also wants to be good, right? If we want to upgrade smart and include maybe a pick, right? That team says, what the hell am I going to do with this pick? I want to be good. I have no use for a draft pick in 2024. That doesn't help me. All you're doing is taking a better player away from me and then telling me to say, hey, go out and get somebody else who's maybe worse than Marcus Smart and take on Marcus Smart. It doesn't really make any sense for that team and the reverse is true too. Let's look at that Malik Beasley trade that we saw, right? Malik Beasley, clearly a worse player than Marcus Smart and Minnesota's first round pick. What's that? The 20th pick? The 18th? What are we going to do with that, right? We want to be good. Why would we trade Smart for a worse player and then have to go find somebody else? I, I mean, it just doesn't make sense for either side, right? So, the only way you can really trade them is if you find a player who's exactly as good as Marcus Smart and is maybe a little bit better fit for both sides. The only guy that really comes to mind for me is John Collins with Atlanta. And you know what? There's probably Celtics fans, uh, all two of you who are listening to this, who are going, whoa, Smart's better than John Collins. And if an Atlanta fan were to listen to this, which they would absolutely probably not have stuck around for this first three, four minutes, but if they did, they would probably be saying, whoa, John Collins is better than Marcus Smart. So I think you can make a reasonable argument for both guys being better than the other one. Probably means they got pretty equal value, but both teams are going to value their guy. They're going to value the known entity. Neither is going to want to give up additional assets. So. That trade is one, it's really fucking hard to find a guy who's exactly as valuable as another player, right? Reasonable minds can differ. And then two, you both have to think the other team's guy is a better fit on your team despite not being able to, you can't try the dude out for two weeks. Like, can we rent your John Collins for, I don't know, 10 games just to see how he feels? And then, you know, we'll switch back if not. That's against the rules, unfortunately, although that would be pretty fun if we have loans like soccer. Maybe that's something we should consider. I will start drafting the letter to... I almost said David Stern. <laughs> what the what the hell is the commissioner's name? Uh, the ball guy. You know the ball guy. Anyway, the ball commissioner. Adam Silver. There we go. <laughs> I knew I'd think of it. Uh, and also, as I'm going on, I'm going to try and take a pretty casual tone. Like I said, this is a conversation, so... This is more a message for Ben, like, don't cut that. I want to look dumb, not remembering Adam Silver's name. That's all part of what I'm trying to accomplish here is make you all think I'm stupid, which I will be very good at doing, trust me. So a lot of these takes aren't going to make sense sometimes, but I think that was a valid point about why smart will never get traded. So let's move on to number two. And so I'm going to, I I want to talk about a guy who's very, very dear to my heart. Most importantly. Because he generated by far the most views of any, <laughs> any video I've made with Ben and put on our YouTube. And that's the guy, the afterthought of the Derek White trade, is Romeo Langford, And you know, I say it's bittersweet. I actually was super low on Romeo last year. I thought he was much worse than Neesmith. I obviously am the world's foremost Neesmith aficionado. I'm the number one merchant in Niesmith propaganda, if you will. And I will. Trust me, there's more to come. <laughs> uh, so really, I did come around big time to Romeo a few months ago, just in time for him to get traded. So that's good. The kiss of death, uh, apparently. Watch out, Hauser. I'm coming for you next, buddy. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you could make a pretty good argument. We did not do Romeo justice. I think he got a pretty unfair shake in a lot of ways, especially this season. I think Yudoka, for all his the positive things he's done, I think it's basically impossible to not argue he's not done the best job developing these young guys. He's not done a great job finding them minutes. I mean, Romeo was getting some solid minutes for a while, um, and then it just kind of stopped. And you know, I don't think, he doesn't seem to me like he was playing poorly. It just seemed like Yudoka decided, I've seen enough, I want to win games, so this dude's done. So that even goes for recently, right? So let me let me bring you back in time. Not very far back in time. I do not have a very powerful time machine, but that's my back in time noise, right? So we are... It's January 21, 2022, right? A long time in the past. I'm sure you completely don't remember what it was like. That yeah, January 21, right. Romeo Langford again and a lo- a loss, mind you, a loss to Portland. 23 minutes, 12 points. 2 for 4 from 3. Couple of boards, two blocks, one turnover, plus 17 in a loss. Okay, next game, eight minutes in the Washington blowout, all garbage time. Sacramento, 53-point win. That's probably a good time to get your young players a shitload of minutes in the second half. Nine minutes, all garbage time. Fair, most of that game was garbage time. Atlanta, 128, 17 minutes, he does not play great. He's just kind of out there. I don't know. He didn't really kill us, didn't have a turnover. He's a plus 2 and a loss. And 2 points, 1 for 3 from the floor. He was just kind of out there. He's a solid defensive player. I didn't I don't recall him getting killed or anything while he was out there, but nonetheless, he has two effective dnps after coming off maybe one of the best games of his career right 12 points plus 17 and a loss like romeo was a huge positive in that game and then he's followed up with basically two performances in garbage time okay that's tough man that's tough for a young player so to build any type of consistency especially when we're crushing these teams like what is it you can't find 15 minutes for romeo langford in a 53 point game against sacramento like come on man Uh, And then so we have this 17-minute, two-point, plus-two performance in the loss to Atlanta. Well, Udoka, he punishes Romeo for that. Next game against the Pelicans, one minute. One minute. Then against Miami, five minutes. Again, garbage time, garbage time. Detroit. Detroit sucks. Romeo gets, okay, 19 minutes after basically not playing for a week. He gets tossed 19 minutes. He does okay. Nine points, three of seven. He's a minus five. In a game we won pretty convincingly. I remember him kind of struggling in that game, if I recall. But still, uh, I think that's the game where uh, the bench completely disappeared in that last couple of minutes. Because I recall his meaningful minutes in the actual non-20 point portion of that game to be pretty damn good. Uh, So... He gets in their garbage time with Bruno Fernando, Neesmith, Pritchard, you know, Detroit's got their guys full court pressing. They get blitzed. It looks bad. Um, sure. But nonetheless, he's coming off one of the best games of his career against Portland on the 21st. And he goes, effective non-garbage time DNPs. Non-garbage time DMP against Washington, against Sacramento, against the Pelicans. Against Miami. So great game. And then four out of the next five games he's effectively DNP'd. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Like, what are you doing to this dude? No wonder he lacks confidence when he's out there. You know what I mean? Like, that's tough. So then he plays pretty good in his meaningful minutes against Detroit. He's part of that abomination. Um and then, you know, we go to Orlando, we beat the shit out of them garbage time gets six minutes plays well eight points plus eight in that one and then this brooklyn massacre he looked he looked like he knew he was getting traded in this brooklyn game honestly he was just like romeo already floats like he's obviously an imbiber of marijuana if i had to guess you know uh he just looks like it but regardless he plays this brooklyn game 12 minutes takes one shot it's a three. Bricks, two free throws. Ugh. Most of this is garbage time. He does manage to snag a rebound and turn the ball over while following someone. Still a plus nine. So that's the last game. We'll see Romeo Langford in a Celtics uniform, unless Brad is still the president of B-Ball Ops in a couple of years because he's clearly just bringing, all you, bringing everybody back, getting the band back together. So, like I said, I think Romeo's had a tough shake, man. He's had some injuries, he's getting his minutes jerked around. Right as he plays a nice game, Yudoka's really shrinking the rotation, and he's just clearly not a part of it. And, you know, I said a few weeks ago, it's like, look, if you're not going to play Romeo or Neesmith or Pritchard, you might as well trade him. Because if they're not going to play, if we're not going to put an honest effort into developing them then they're, they're just going to depreciate his as assets. So it doesn't really make any sense to keep them around. So I'm glad, you know, Brad seems like he picked two of the three young guys. Like, okay, we've got spots in the rotation for Pritchard. My grill just got blown over by the wind. I kid you not. Uh, so I will fix that after I'm done recording. But that was pretty crazy. It's very windy here in West Virginia. Uh, all right. Very excited. Wow. What action for my first show. That's insane. Um, So anyway, I want to talk real quickly about sort of this energy we have with the young guys, especially after that Detroit debacle. Look, a little alliteration for you. The Detroit debacle. So after that, I saw some strong takes. About the young guys and how they all suck and blah, 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 blah. So, we had Matt Penny on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, and he he was a bench warmer for UMass. No offense, Matt. I love you, man. He, follow Matt Penny. He's the best draft guy going, him and Sam Vicini. But, and he commented that it's really fucking hard to go into a game after sitting on your ass for 40 minutes and play well, especially when you're going in against guys who've played the whole game are full court pressing, and then you get out there cold with Enos Cantor and Bruno Fernando out there with you. Like, you're being set up to fail. It looked bad. It sucked. But do we expect three young guys in Bruno Bruno Fernando and Enos Cantor to be a good lineup? Uh, hell no. So why are we overreacting when it's a fucking disaster? It would have been a disaster with Bruno Fernando and Jason Tatum and Enos Cantor out there, right? Like, that is doomed to fail. It failed. And so where was the opposite energy when, let me bring you back in time again, okay? Hold on, I gotta bring up my guy Neesmith here. Okay, we're going back in time again. The date is January 14th, 2022, even further back than we just went. I mean, this is ancient history at this point. We play Philly. Philly beats our ass. There's about seven minutes, eight minutes left in the game. Actually, looks like nine minutes left in the game. In comes the bench boys. Smith, Pritchard, Romeo, Bruno, somebody else. Maybe Hauser. I can't remember who played that game uh, with those four. Aaron Smith against Philly kept their starters in for most of that game. Aaron Smith, 10 points, four for five from the floor. One for two from three, one for one from the line because he had a sweet and one, a board, an assist, a steal, a block, plus five in a game we lost by twenty. Okay, so if you're going to say all these young guys suck because of that dumbass or land or Detroit, that dumbass Detroit garbage time, then you better be saying. All these young guys are – Aaron Neesmith needs to play more because he tore up Philly in nine minutes of garbage time or whatever it was. Are you saying that? Hell no. Neither am I. Well, that's not true. I am, but I'm completely biased. Normal people are not saying that at all. So why are we saying the opposite – When the bat, when the negative happens, like you got to keep the same energy. If if it's good, you better be clamoring for these dudes to play, and if it's bad, clamoring for them to not play. I prefer to say garbage time is fucking meaningless. Scal said so. The next game, he was like, garbage time means nothing, even if they play good or bad. Like it doesn't matter. The coach is evaluating these guys based on practice more than three minutes at the end of a blowout. Pretty damn good point, Scal, and I think you're probably right. So anyway, that's what I, that's all I wanted to say on the young guys. I mean, they're having, this is tough, man. Getting jerked around, not having steady minutes is tough. I hope part of this trade is to at least get Pritchard uh, some more steady minutes, and my guy Neesmith too, I think there's opportunity for him as well. But really, I think Pritchard makes a lot of sense because Derek White, I think, does two things, right? And that's who I want to talk about next, real quick, before we wrap it up here. I want to talk about this Derek White trade. Derek White is sort of an in between player of Dennis Schroeder and Josh Richardson, right? And what I mean is, he's, actually, he's like basically the same size as Richardson. But he's got a lot of the point guard skills of Schroeder. In fact, he's probably a better point guard than Schroeder as a pure point guard. And better maybe in every way, frankly. Uh, So he can absorb really both of their roles. uh, Sort of the bench ball handler role, but also like a secondary creator wing shooter that Richardson did. And I expect him to play thirty. Three, thirty-four minutes. I mean, he'll probably come off the bench, but he's going to play starters minutes. He'll probably close for us. That means there's probably 10, 12 minutes at point guard that need to be soaked up. Uh, and I think Pritchard can do that. I don't think he'll be deployed as the primary playmaker. Uh, but he's a great fit next to White. Defensively, you can have White Hound, whoever the better player is, uh, between the other teams backcourt. And then you can hide PP on somebody else, uh, but he can—you know—he can—he can guard some. He's not going to get killed, right? Unless he's getting switched on to Durant over and over in a playoff series. But we're not worrying about that right now, right? We just want to see Pritchard get 15 solid minutes a night, get in some sort of groove, even if it's just to build his trade value for this off season. I mean, I have no idea what Brad has planned, but I'm excited. I think that'll be fun. So. I've seen a lot of backlash. Uh, let's just talk generally more about Derek White. And I've seen a lot of backlash about this trade. I get it. Picks are fun. I love, I'm intoxicated by picks. Are you kidding me? I've staked my entire reputation on Aaron Neesmith. And I. you think I was watching him live in college? Hell no. I watched a few highlight videos, right? I love picks. The time to bring in rookies is probably over. We're young enough right now that I think it makes sense to grab guys who are a little further along in their development and add them to the core uh, as known quantities. We've got a few lottery tickets, right? We've got nee Smith, He's a lottery ticket. I think Hauser is a scratch-off ticket, uh, right? You know, the, the reward's probably not that big, but he might be a nice player. Uh, you can find those. Got Broderick Thompson, Thomas. Broderick Tom, Brody Tommy. Uh, he's a scratch ticket, right? Pritchard, a lottery ticket. You just need a couple of these guys to hit, right? We already hit on Grant. With White in the fold, it now means we have four above average to elite level role players locked in around the Jays, all 27 or younger. Like Rob, Smart, Grant Williams... Oh, I guess, I guess Tice is actually 28 or 29, but he's locked in for a couple of years too. He's a very nice role player. So we've got really those, oh, Derek White, duh, that's the seventh. (laughs) Crushing it, crushing it. First episode, all right, leave me alone. So yeah, so our kind of core sevens all locked in for at least two more years after this one. That's obviously the Jays, Smart, Rob, Derek White, Grant tice am i forgetting am i I losing my mind i might be Uh, yeah that's it that's it all right so we've got seven plus players other than tice that are young seemingly most of which are improving and then you've got pritchard neesmith hauser you know one of these guys is gonna hit right please it's gotta somebody's gotta hit somebody's gonna make some fucking shots right somebody will I that's a good core. You've got all your picks going forward, Um, and I get the hang-up with the pick swap in 2028. Look, it's a, it's a gamble. It really is. That could be a disaster. I have a take about that. I'm going to save it for Monday when we have on the Celtics Reddit podcast a guest who has very strong takes about that pick swap. So I've got – oh, I want to raise it to him. So I'm going to hold my take for now, but I will just say this. I think the odds are a lot higher that pick swap is not a big deal than it is a disaster. And I think that's to get a 27-year-old-plus player locked in at a really good number is probably worth it. Um, So anyway, okay, back to actually Derek White. This dude, I was not the biggest fan. Um, I thought he was a good player. I think he's clearly a better player than Jay Rich. I think he's, this guy's going to be really good. All right, let me hit you with some numbers. So he's not exactly a transition beast. 41st percentile in transition offense. That's okay. He just needs to hit ahead passes. He just needs to make the right play. We don't need him finishing in transition. That's not really going to be his role. He's going to be more like Smart. You know, Smart's not dunking over people on the break. He's like, here you go, Jalen. You dunk over somebody. All right, so he has almost the exact same number of isolation possessions as Josh Richardson this year. Derek White's in the 66th percentile on 17 isolation possessions. Jay Rich, also 17 isolation possessions. That was the exact number. Uh, Look at that. And he is in the 29th percentile of isolation efficiency. Yeah. Peyton Pritchard, 15 possessions, 100th percentile. Peyton Pritchard is the best isolation scorer in the NBA, if, you know, you believe 15 possessions. And real quick, remember all that smoke about Tatum sucking in isolation and how he's terrible and it's undermining the offense? He has 263 isolation possessions, more than two teams, (laughs) more than Orlando and Derek White's ex-team, the Spurs. Oh, and guess what? 58th percentile solidly above average which is fucking insane on that volume and that's including the first month when he was like 20th percentile so he's been well above that 58th percentile probably sit in the mid six low 60 percentile in isolation efficiency on an absurd number of isolation possessions so i mean i the, that is no longer a bad play. It's not a great play. Isolations are inherently inefficient, but it is no longer submarine your offense bad like it was those first couple of weeks. Now it's basically a foundational piece of our offense uh, as it looks, So and Tatum's been balling. Anyway, so Derek White, very solid isolation player in a very limited number of attempts. That's okay. We don't really need him to do that. So Jay Rich, spot-up guy 49 percent of josh richardson's possessions are spot-ups that's a lot that's a real lot um so he's really good at him right you'd think Jay rich is uh killing it from three right much better than we have any right to think Okay, well, spot-ups aren't just making open threes, which Jay Rich has been very good at. It's also doing stuff after you catch the ball that's not just shooting. Jay Rich is not that great at that. So, even though Jay Rich is shooting over 40% from three, he's in the 71st percentile on spot-ups, which is great. But, Derek White, on, oh, rather, 200 possessions for Jay Rich, Derek White, 196 spot up possessions. Again, almost exact same number. Um, He's shooting 31, 32% from three. Guess what? 65th percentile inefficiency on spot ups. Barely worse than Richardson because he is so much better at getting to the rim, cracking the paint, making plays for others. He is this hybrid of Richardson and Schroeder. That I think as long as he can just, his shooting's just got to come up just a little bit. He's going to be a damn, damn fine piece of this team. And I haven't even gotten to the best part yet. Pick and roll ball handling. Guess who leads our team in efficiency? Dennis, no, I'm just kidding. It's not Schroeder. It's Jason Tatum, 72nd percentile for a forward, not amongst forwards, of any player and he basically is a 3-4, right? 294 possessions for Tatum. 72nd percentile. That's really fucking good. Schroeder, very good himself. 63rd percentile. 268 possessions. That's good. And, and mind you, this really tracks scoring off um, pick and roll possessions. It's not. It does not do a good job of tracking passing. So smart, way down there. 17th percentile. Not ideal. Uh, Jay Rich, only 58 possessions. Not a lot. 59th percentile so not really secondary creator doesn't really have the volume but if you need to run a pick and roll in a pinch he can okay Derek White 226 possessions being the pick and roll ball handler he is in the 77th percentile of efficiency he's one of the very best pick and roll high volume pick and roll ball handlers in the league and that's with him not being able to hit a three basically all season he's better than schroeder at schroeder's best thing and he's almost as good as richardson at richardson's best thing spotting up he is a amazing hybrid of these two guys oh and by the way i'm not really gonna get to this because it's all over the place he's also a better defender than jay rich who is no slouch on that end himself so we've got a guy man if his shooting can tick up 38% 38, 30, no, 38% on open threes, not total. 34% total. Man, this dude is going to be a really, really nice fit. He plays, I think he can play with smart, so long as those two kind of keep the shooting not catastrophic. Their def- defense is going to be absolutely absurd with those two. He can definitely play with pitch- Pritchard, he can definitely play in the backcourt with Jalen. I mean, I think he can probably play some three uh, in certain lineups. He's 6'4", 6'5", 6'8", wingspan. You know, he's got good size, so he can move up a position if we need him to. Obviously, it's not ideal, but he's got a lot of versatility, very switchable on the defensive end. Oh, and uh, he's only had 15 cut possessions, but he's in the 93rd percentile of efficiency. I think we'll probably see that come up. What he is not... If you're looking for Duncan Robinson, you want a guy that's running off screens, making plays, hitting shots. That is not going to be Derek White. He's in uh, the 11th percentile off screens. <laughs> that's uh, not good, not great. Uh, that would not lead the team. Unlike if he were our pick and roll ball handler, he would lead the team in efficiency as a pick and roll ball handler. Um. So yeah, I I understand. From a value proposition, we probably slightly overpaid for Derek White. But man, I'm super excited to watch him. I think it's going to be fun. I think the defense is going to be absurd. Uh, And really, him and Tice coming back, I mean, that's going to set this team up. Those are two big upgrades on the guys occupying their positions previously. I think White's an upgrade on what Schroeder and Jay Rich are doing. And Tice is, I mean, he's a massive upgrade on Cantor. Plus he's Rob insurance, man. Like we're playing with fire, playing Rob 35 minutes a game. Like we need somebody who can soak up some minutes if Rob needs a break. That's not 35 year old Al Horford. And Tice is that man. He's going to fit right back in. I'm excited he's back. So all in all, Loved the trade deadline. Uh, Love's probably a little strong, actually. I take that back. We're going back in time here. So, uh, really liked the trade deadline. I'd give Brad, had the pick swap not been included, I'd give him a solid A. I'm going to go with like a BB plus for him. Uh, And real quick, right before, or rather, should I say, a few hours before I recorded this at 4.46 when my job ends... Hauser, Luke Cornett signed a, uh, contracts for the rest of the season. I think it makes sense. We'll see if we can find Hauser a position on defense because he obviously has an offensive role. So one out of two, we're halfway there with Sam. And then Cornett, he actually led the team in defensive rating last year. Yeah, pretty wild. So uh, he's like a 36%, you know, he if he could shoot threes at 36%, he would be a very, very nice role player. He obviously cannot do that, but you know, his shot isn't terrible. So we'll see. Maybe he can make some shots. He can defend the rim. He's not great out in space, but you know, he's your fourth center at this point. That's okay. That's okay. So I'm interested to see those guys uh, get back involved, see some more Hauser, hopefully he gets some more steady minutes. Other than our guy, Romeo Langford, RIP, my friend, thank you for the over 1k views on the video, Romeo. It's much, much appreciated. So that's going to do it for this first episode of the unnamed Wayne Booty show uh, that will appear in your feed either Friday nights, America time or Saturday morning, America time. So that is it for me. I think I will be on with Jay maybe this weekend i think we're definitely recording something monday i think so we should gonna up the content for you keep the stream live have stuff coming down and i hope you liked it and if not tell me why it sucked and i will try and do better next time and hopefully my grill doesn't fall down all right spoonie out